0: We're in the middle of a series that we've that I've titled The Power of And and it comes from chapters 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians and for me the key verse in this section is chapter 14 verse 1 where it says pursue love however keep on eagerly seeking the things of the spirit and especially seek to be able to prophesy This is the complete Jewish Bible translation and I like this translation in how it handles keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit. Because, as you know, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, the Greek word for gifts is not there. So it really says, you know, uh, earnestly desire or keep on seeking the spiritual, not spiritual gifts, but the spiritual. Which, uh, what I like about that is it broadens the scope, it doesn't get us so honed in on just gifts. In this section, uh, Paul is beginning to address some things about worship. When uh, the church gathers together for worship, there were some issues that were happening, and so he had to address them. And we're going to dive into, again, uh, chapter 11, and today's message is entitled Freedom Part 2. Because if you were here last week, you know that we just had Freedom Part 1, which was really just the introduction to today's message. Last week we began to talk about what it what happens sometimes when we experience freedom. If we are restrained in some way, and then all of a sudden we experience freedom, that sometimes we can take that freedom and take it to an extreme. And I used a personal example of getting that freedom of getting your license and driving, and I got pulled over for what the police officer said was the finest job of over-acceleration he had seen in a long time. Um, and then he threatened to do all kinds of things to me, which when he, I was a 16-year-old kid and had my license for about two months his fear tactic worked immensely for a short period of time because I like the freedom of driving and I like going fast. In fact, there was a period of time in my early 20s where I was one ticket away from losing my license. Again, when freedom comes, sometimes we can take that freedom to an extreme and We see some of that happen even as people were gathering to worship in 1 Corinthians 11. I also talked about last week, culture. As, As we look at context, remember we can't take a verse out and just interpret it alone. We have to not only look at a verse within the passage, but also in the chapter, maybe even the book or the Bible. But the other context piece that we sometimes miss when we're interpreting the Bible is the context of Culture, and I dove more deeper into this last week. And just that, the Bible was written in a first century Near Eastern Greco-Roman mindset or background, and we live in a 21st century with a Western mindset. And the main difference is that the first century lived under a patriarchal society, which meant. That men had all power when it comes to social, legal, and economic issues. And I, like I said, last week I went into that more, so you can listen to last week's message if you want to. In fact, this has even impacted how the people worshiped and even the Jewish religion in that and some pagan religions, in that women were not allowed to worship God with men in the same room. They were often in separate rooms. And after the service last week, Eric reminded me that in for Judaism, it wasn't just women were in a separate room, the Gentiles were also in a separate room. In fact, the temple at Jesus' time was a, a series of courtyards and and not everybody got into the inner sanctum. In fact, the first courtyard you would walk into was called the Courtyard of the Gentiles. Everyone could be in there. In fact, this is where all the money changing happened, where foreigners would come. They would want to come and worship and offer sacrifices. And so they would trade money for animals to be sacrificed. Within that courtyard of the Gentiles, there was a courtyard off to the side, and that was called the courtyard of the women. This is where the women went to worship. And then there was another courtyard, which was the courtyard of the Israelites, which was open only to Jewish men. And then there was inside that the courtyard of the priests, which in turn went into the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies being the place where a priest would go one time a year to atone for the sins of the people. The structure really, ironically, was built on exclusion. There's an interesting note here is that the original tabernacle from the Old Testament that God designed, God gave that design to Moses. It had the Holy of Holies, where the priests went in once a year, and it had the holy place where the priests went in daily, but then there was just one courtyard for all. So maybe, in this patriarchy society, where men men were in control of everything, women and Gentiles began to be excluded. It was in the courtyard of the Gentiles that Jesus came and overturned the tables. And it was about money because the changers were taking advantage of the people. But I wonder if it wasn't all about, also about this exclusion piece. You see, Jesus said, My Father's house is not supposed to be a den of thieves, but a house of prayer for all nations. And if what if that isn't just about praying, us praying for all nations, but it was a place for all nations to come and pray? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil. To the Holy of Holies was ripped apart, which means the inner place where only priests were able to go was now available to everyone. Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse 28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Notice that the main lines of division within the culture from the first century are being erased by Christ. You see, in Christ there's no longer a Gentile court and there's no longer a woman's Court. There is only the Holy of Holies. And we all have access to it. We are all the priesthood of believers. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit. We have all been reconciled to God through Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like for women and for Gentiles, to all of a sudden be in the same room. Can you imagine going as a husband and wife to worship and no longer did you as a wife go to the room off to the side, but you could worship together? You see, that's that's nothing for us because we're used to that. This is our culture. We're used to coming into the same room and worshiping, but that wasn't the deal in the first century. In the midst of all this newfound freedom, some were apparently taking their freedom too far, and it was impacting the time of worship and prayer and prophesying that time is meant to glorify God not to glorify self or to have my way with my freedoms and so paul had to address this it's interesting that in corinth which was mostly greek the the apparel for men and women was very similar back in the first century and so It was important for what you have on your head. And and so women wore head covering, especially wives. They wore a veil which covered their head. It was less about what was in front of your face and more covering your head. And so it was normal for married women in that day to wear a veil. The only women who didn't wear a veil were either high-end prostitutes, or slaves, sometimes their heads were shaved. Or women caught in adultery, sometimes their heads were shaved. Men would, and women would come together, worship together. And it was important for men and women to continue, even in the excitement of this freedom, to continue the boundaries that are meant to be. F.F. Bruce writes that he thinks that Paul knew that also the female prophets within the pagan temples prophesied with their heads uncovered and disheveled. And so for Bruce, he even thinks that it's important for the women, especially married women, to have their head covered because... They didn't want to be mistaken for pagan prophets. So as we look at the rest of chapter 11, there's three what I I call boundaries that Paul mentions to sure that in our worship together, in our prayer together, as we prophesy together, we don't get our freedom too far so as to distract from the glory of God. And as we begin to go through this and read this, I want you to I want, I want to remind you that this is one of these passages in the Bible that is debated over and over and over again. There is not one consensus. this is the way it is. Part of the reason for that is Paul's re- writing in response to a letter or questions from the church. They would say, hey, this is going on in worship. And so we don't know what that letter is. We don't know what the specific questions are. We just know Paul's response. And so there's some assumptions that are made. And so whoever writes on this writes with some assumptions. They take what we know and they write with some assumptions. So even for me, what I share with you this morning is where I land and I understand, and you may not totally agree with me, and that's fine. I do want you to know that I've spent the last three months reading and rereading and rereading because I take seriously this platform. I, I don't want to bring anything here that is not of the Spirit of God. And so I'm not going to dive into the depths of everything. These boundaries are some general principles that I think we can apply to us today. So I'm going to read chapter 11, verses 2 through 10, as we look at these three boundaries. I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off, But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. So the first boundary is this, glorify God through honor. Wearing a veil was a sign of being married as I mentioned before. It was a sign of a woman in that culture living in submission to her husband. It was part of the culture wearing the veil inside the church, outside the church women who were married wore a veil. Part of this concern by removing the veil was a distraction, that the women would become a distraction in the, in the process of prayer and prophesying and worship. Paul is expressing to this women Glad you're having freedom by worshiping together with your husbands and everybody else. And in that freedom, don't throw off your veil. Don't let down your hair. Don't walk away from important traditions that have been part of our lives for a long time. Continue to pray and prophesy, but don't throw everything off. And I think this, for me, comes back to what Paul's been already talking about even earlier in First Corinthians, when Paul talks about rights and freedoms. Remember this? He, he says, I, I have freedom to eat whatever meat I want. And even if it's meat offered to an idol, I have freedom. But I'm not going to eat that meat if it causes somebody else to stumble. So part of what Paul is saying here is, ladies, wear your veils. Yes, in Christ you have freedom, maybe even freedom to remove your veil, but if it causes a distraction during prayer and prophesying and worship because what you're doing in that is you're bringing glory to God, if it causes a distraction, then wear your veil. Keep it on. You see, the act of removing the veil could be seen as an embarrassment to the husband. Remember, this is a patriarchal society. Husband has all the power. The world revolves around the husband. It is his name that is at at stake. And if a woman embarrasses her husband, his honor is at stake. You see, when women were worshiping in another room it didn 't matter they could take their veil off because it was just it was just women over there it didn 't matter. The husband was over here it wasn 't an embarrassment, but when they 're all together, but Paul also tells men don't cover your head because in that culture men who had head coverings it was all about power you notice on statues and pictures from the first century men of power and position had wreaths and that kind of stuff on their head it was they were in charge and i think paul is saying hey when you come and worship you're not in charge anymore." Because God is your head. Remove it. Because if you have something on your head, you embarrass your head. You dishonor your head. Now verse 10 is one of those really weird verses where Paul says that a white wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. It's like... Uh, and just see there's some weird stuff out there i just want you to know yeah and if you if you want to read about this stuff you can but part of it, you know part of the thing some people think of if you remember in genesis uh the genesis stories talk about the nephilim which are remember the angels came and and slept with the daughters of men, and they had giants. Well, these giants are called the Nephilim. Well, part of it is maybe that's what Paul is addressing. Uh, Angels, the Greek word means messenger. That's what an angel is. So maybe maybe Paul is talking about messengers, people who are bringing news from other churches, and they're coming into the church, and they're distracted by the women who don't have veils because they don't know if they're married or not. I mean... it goes a lot of different directions. So, sorry, that's all you're going to get from me today. It's just that it is weird. And this is, this is why what I, what I talk about we don't know what is fully happening in that first century. And we don't know what is really totally going on in the church. And so we just need to do the best that we can. The main point for me That I think Paul is making, is in the midst of your freedom to worship, remember, it's God's glory. And if you're doing something in the midst of worship that is causing a distraction to somebody else, this is the application for me, for us today. If you're doing something in distraction to somebody else in the midst of worship, knock it off. It's not about you. It's not about your freedom and your rights. It's the glory of God. And if you are distracting somebody else from their worship, then you are not glorifying God. The second boundary is this God is the focus. I already mentioned this, but Paul says in verses eleven and twelve, he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. I think that in the midst of this, Paul has he, he has made this whole statement about, you know, Christ being the head of every man and the husband's ahead of the wife and God's ahead of Christ and he's talking about veils and authority and all these pieces. And I, and I wonder if he doesn't step back a moment and add a clarifier because sometimes we take that and now we're going to take that message and we're going to go the way to this extreme. And then Paul says, hey, nevertheless, remember this, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Men and women, you are dependent on each other. You need each other. And again, think first century. This is a huge thing because in the first century, a man did not need a woman at all. A man married a woman. She bore his children. She took care of the house, but... He was in charge. Everything revolved around him. And if the man was gone, the woman was destitute. Paul says, in the Lord... Mm -mm. Women, you're you're not independent. Because part of that freedom, all of a sudden the women are thinking, Hey, I've got freedom. I'm independent. No, you're not. You're dependent on man. But men your dependence on women for as a woman came from man so also man is born of woman think about that the first woman came from man rib every other man has come from a woman and then paul even adds another clarifier hey and just before any of you get too big headed everything comes from god you see christian worship is best expressed when together now we're talking married couples here because most of this message is about wives and bails when married couples visibly give the lord the glory of their interdependent lives they're expressing glory to god in this oneness, in this intimacy that says we are in this together. We need each other. We're for each other. And as soon as you remove the veil, you remove a boundary, it causes distraction. Everything comes from God. God is a focus. My worship is not about my freedom, but my focus On God. The last boundary is this we are different. Male and female, we are different. Um, Our goal in expressing equality is not meaning that men and women are the same. Paul writes these words in verses 13 through 16 judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has a long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches. Now again, The idea of long hair, short hair, that's a first century issue. It's not a 21st century issue because we have plenty of women in this room who have short hair. We have some men with long hair. It's not an issue in our culture. So what is Paul trying to get across? In that culture, hair helped delineate the difference between men and women. Our culture has veered way off path on this. With gender fluidity, my identity based on how I feel today, I self-identify. This is part of the devil's scheme. In Christ... We are male and female. We are all image bearers. We are to live in the identity that God has given us because our identity is found in Christ. Everything comes from God. To wrap this up, I think what Paul is trying to get us to understand is this. He wants us to pray, to prophesy, to worship, all while giving God the glory. He wants us to know that everyone is invited into the room to worship. Whatever way the culture divides, that is erased in Christ. He wants the church to recognize that there are boundaries within the freedom of worship. And the main boundary is that all glory and honor goes to God. Amen.